Aloha. We're glad you've joined us for this Reunion Hawaii Church podcast. These teachings by our pastoral team are recorded live during our weekly services in Honolulu, Hawaii. We hope you will be blessed by this teaching. So, um, she mentioned Covenant Membership Day. It's something we love here. We love, 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 love. And I'm just going to give you a, a real quick um, kind of a rundown of why membership matters. If you attend here and you love to come here and you love to worship here, you love the messages, you love all that, you're welcome to keep doing that. We love having you and all that. But we believe that commitment matters. Um, I use the example of ladies know this. All the women in the room know this. It's not the same shacking up with some guy without the ring and the paper and the ceremony. Marriage matters, commitment matters, and the same sense of commitment to church membership matters. It just matters. Number two, it matters when you put yourself in mutual covenant with the people with whom you worship and serve. It's a vote of confidence in your relationship with them. It recognizes the people around you as part of your tribe. We use that tribal language because that's really what it is. If it's, we have a culture, we have a way of doing things, we have uh, an emphasis here that may or may not be like the church down the street or some other church, but it's who we are. And if it's who you are, then you should be in mutual covenant with us. It matters to me as your pastor and to all the other pastors on the pastoral team. It places you under authority in a really, really different measure. It gives your pastor different level of permission to speak into your life. I'll just tell you that. I have people sometimes who come to me and they've got questions and all that. And I, I feel a reservation about speaking openly what I really feel like God has for them because they haven't committed to me as their pastor, to the church as their church, and so I have to sort of pull my punches there. But when somebody's in covenant relationship with us and they come to me, I give it to them super straight. <laughs> I just tell you like it is. This, this is what I feel like God's saying to you. Um, making a commitment makes a powerful statement in a low commitment culture. We're in a low commitment culture. We're in a culture where people are consumers of religious services. They just want to pick one from column A and two from column B and a little of this, a little of that. And look, let's face it. You can go online right now during this service on your phone and hear some of the most amazing gifted speakers in the world from all around the world. You can hear worship teams from the biggest, most amazing churches in the world. And that's not a substitute for being part of a body. It's just not. It's a different thing. So um, it says, I am committed to this group of people, and they are also committed to me. I'm here to stay. I'm here to give more than I get. This is my tribe. And the fifth one is that church membership keeps you accountable. When you are merely an uncommitted consumer of what the church prov provides, you're free to do as you please, and that is not a good thing. That's a bad thing. We need the accountability that comes from being yoked together with other believers, sharing commonality of mission, commonality of vision, being part of a common tribe, and lovingly submitted to leaders of integrity. And I can speak to this because I know all of the leaders in this church really, 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 really well. Um, I was responsible for ordaining most of them. Uh, these are people of integrity that you can trust. 
and that's really important to me. So we do this thing with covenant membership and what it is, it's a spoken word covenant and the way we do it here is if this is something you've you're ready to be part of, we ask you to come and stand right along here in the front. And then we have someone who's already a member of the church who I hope brought their Bibles tonight. If you didn't, look around, see if you can borrow a Bible from somebody. Uh, to come and stand in front of you with the Bible and you place your hand on the Bible and you're basically saying, I believe that this is the Bible. I'm gonna do my best to live up to it. That's what you're really committing to. So at this time, if you submitted a thing or didn't submit the thing, but you're planning to join us, Come on up here and stand in the front, please. I see movement. I see it happening. That's what I'm talking about. Come on up. There we go. Come on. I love it. There's some more coming. Give them a minute. Just give them a minute. You're going to have to probably pack it in a little bit and you're going to turn and face them because they're going to come and stand in front of you yeah just right on this side over here will be fine yeah come on up here buddy okay Asher you good come on up okay so uh, and what we'll do is um, all you have to say is I will it's really simple you got two words I'll read the rest of it to you. and you just remember when I say you say I will okay so all of you who are already official covenant members who have a Bible in your hand and want to stand in front of you stand in front of somebody go up there and go and stand in front of them and hold a Bible in front of them so we need one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven people come on up there we go there we go there we go I'm loving it Make sure everybody's got somebody in front of them. How are we doing here? Everybody got somebody with a Bible in front of you? We missing anybody? We good? We need one more. Who's, who's back there with a the Bible? Here he comes. There he comes. Elisha, come on up here, buddy. Elisha's angeling tonight, and he's doing this. That's awesome. All right, so here's what we do. Uh, listen to what you're promising here. Will you sincerely promise in the presence of God and these witnesses that you will accept the Bible as the word of God, believe and practice its teachings rightly divided, the New Testament as your rule of faith and practice, government and discipline, and walk in the light to the best of your knowledge and ability? And your answer is... Woo! Welcome to the family. And be sure that Natalia, raise your hand. Be sure Natalia's got the list and make sure she's got all the names on the list. All right. Thank you. God bless you. So how awesome is that? I love it. Uh, so I'm going to talk to you about a subject that some of you have. Let me just take a poll. How about that? We'll do an inser informal survey. Somebody's going to have to bring me my water up here because I... I'm just dry mouthing it all over the place here. Thank you. Whew. Okay. Much better. So how many of you have ever been in a church service where you actually washed one another's feet? Look at that. This is going to be awesome. This is going to be so good. Um, I grew up in the Bible Belt, the deep south um, Alabama, I know we lost yesterday, but let's, let's don't go there. So, <laughs> it's, it's just, all, all winning streaks have to come to an end eventually. Um, I grew up in Alabama, I'm third generation Pentecostal, and communion, every time you took communion, it was always accompanied by the washing of the saints' feet, this ceremonial thing. 
if in fact, if you wanted to thin the crowd out at church, you just announced, we're going to have communion and feet washing, and about a third of the people would show up, and a bunch of the others would go, yeah, no, not me, I'm out, I'm, I ain't going to do that, that's crazy. And it was treated as an obligation and not as an opportunity. It was shuffled off to an off night. They would do it on Wednesday night Bible study or, you know, some Thursday night gathering. And they never did it on a Sunday. It was just not done on a Sunday because it was like it was something embarrassing to be done in the back room somewhere. In fact, it was kind of done in the back room. And they, they, they was very conservative. This is Bible Belt, Deep South. They segregated everybody by gender because God forbid that some man was going to wash some woman's feet or a woman was going to wash some man's feet. And only as an adult did I come to realize the depth and the significance of humbling yourself and following the example of Jesus and getting down and taking somebody's foot in your hand and blessing them. So during this, um, I think Pastor Pablo and some guys are going to be distributing the communion elements. And I'm, there he goes right there. See? Going to do that right this minute. Um, I, I want to, so throughout all of Christianity, all around the world, there's this one sacramental observance that unites us in the faith. In some traditions, it's called the Eucharist. In other traditions, it's called Holy Communion. Um, less liturgical churches, you might hear it referred to as the Lord's Supper or the Lord's Table or any of those terms, but it's really the, the same thing with just a, a different understanding of how, how to do it. In some traditions, everyone drinks from a common cup. That's probably not being done right now during a pandemic. They probably have made some concessions for that. We're not doing that tonight. Don't worry, you're not going to have to drink somebody else's common cup. Uh, we got the little disposable things that uh, they're passing out there. Um, some churches use wine. Other churches use grape juice. Um, and I've told this story before, but I'll tell it again. Uh, there was a period of time where we did joint services um, on every fifth Sunday night we would have a joint service um, in Kaneohe with an Episcopal church and an Assembly of God and a Baptist church and, and our church. You know, we would do these joint services and stuff. Well, the Episcopalians, it was Eucharist and they used wine and everybody else who was in the room did like Welch's grape juice except the Episcopalians. And so we kind of had a huddle back there with all the pastors like, okay, so how are we going to handle this? And so the Episcopal priest had to, you know, bless the elements, the Eucharist, and then he got up to the mic and he said, okay, so we're just going to explain it to you like this. This line has wine and this line has grape juice and we're not really checking who's in which line, so just get in line. <laughs> and that's the way they handled that little problem. Um, sometimes it's observed with a really elaborate setting. I went to a couple of churches growing up where they would have this big long table beautifully draped with chairs representing where the disciples might have sat and they'd have an empty chair representing Jesus and uh, they would have somebody come and pray behind you and it took like forever to do communion that way because you know they would do like 11 or 12 people and then they'd have to go over again um, I have a friend from a church organization that they do the Lord's Supper they call it as a part of every weekly service it's just a part of their weekly worship observance and there are other churches that do it annually. We do it whenever we feel like we need to do it. Um, but regardless of the frequency or the way that you do it or the elements used, it's generally understood to be an observance by which Christians, 
people who are following Jesus Christ remember his sacrifice, his blood being poured out and his body given for us. One place that's recorded in the Gospels is Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day, that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. So most people seem at least pretty much familiar with communion. And they've been distributing the little prepackaged elements. And I think everybody here has done this. And you peel off the top thing. And there's a wafer. And then you peel off the juice. So I want to tell you that there's, thank you, sir. There's absolutely no pressure for anybody who's just here and you want to observe. Do not feel like we're pressuring you to take part in something you don't want to. But I want to address one thing before we do that. Sometimes there are people in attendance at a gathering where communion's being served, and they're sitting there thinking, yeah, I probably shouldn't take part in this because um, I'm really not living right. I'm unworthy. I mean, I believe in God. I know that Jesus was the Son of God, died for our sins and all that, but I'm not really 100% sure that I'm, like, saved. Let's take care of that right now. Let's get that out of the way. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to shake anybody's hand. We're not asking you to fill out a card or come up here and join the church. It's amazingly simple to know without a shadow of doubt you're saved. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans 5.8 says, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Sin separates us from a holy God. And Jesus Christ provides the only way we can come back to our right, restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. And in fact, Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except by me. You can never be good enough. You're never going to be righteous enough. You're never going to be moral enough. You're never going to do enough good works. You can't earn salvation. It does not work that way. Salvation is through grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone. John 3, 16, 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. If you're here tonight, you recognize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know you can't trust in your own good works to earn your salvation, you're going to surrender right here, right now, and allow Jesus to be your, not only your Savior, but the Lord of your life. He is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We're not going to do anything public. We're not trying to embarrass you at all. We're trying to get you right with God. So if you'll just bow your heads for just a minute, simple prayer. Lord, right here in this room, there may be somebody who has never, ever realized their need for a Savior, or they've realized it and they've never done anything about it. But right now, in the quiet of this moment, no music playing, no emotional appeals. Just the quiet of this moment. Speak to hearts in this room. And if there be anyone in this room right now who knows, yes, that's me. That's me. I need Jesus. I pray that you'll come into their heart, come into their life right now. Completely change them from the inside out. Make them a brand new creature in Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, we're going to do this now. 1 Corinthians 11, 23 through 26. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and we had given thanks. He broke it and said, 
This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this and whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, take and drink. And the verse continues, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now that's when the service usually ends. Right there. Just like, thanks for coming everybody, you know that. But today we're gonna go a little bit deeper. And this is, I'm so thrilled with this. I, I talked to some pastors on the mainland who go like, man, I saw your church doing feet washing. How did your, how did your younger people respond to that and I go are you kidding me the 18 to 35s are the they're like into it they're like let's do this this hyper relational stuff and they love it I've seen pictures some of you have been to weddings or you've seen pictures of weddings where the bride and the groom wash one another's feet it's really meaningful it's a symbol of love and mutual submission and honor so let's just look at John Chapter 13, starting in the second verse. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus said, you do not realize, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands my head as well Jesus answered those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body's clean and you're clean though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him and that was why he said not everyone was clean when he'd finished washing their feet he put on his clothes and returned to his place do you understand what I have done for you he asked them you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Stop right there for a second and let that one sink in. Jesus said, you should also do it. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So the act of feet washing in itself was, was not strange or unusual to the disciples. It was actually a very common practice. Here in Hawaii, most of you, if you grew up here, you know this. If you moved here, you learned it pretty quickly. Um, the Asian culture is remove your shoes before you go into somebody's house. You can't imagine going in with your outside shoes on into somebody's house. When we first moved here, we had like a cable repairman, a cable installer or something. This was 40 years ago. The cable installer comes to our house and I was amazed 
He took off his work boots, his steel-toed work boots at the front door, came in in his sock feet, do the cable work, put his boots back on, went in and out, put his boots back on, everything, because he was so well-trained that this is the way it's done. And when I go to the mainland now and I see people like walking around their house with their shoes on, it's like, <laughs> makes me cringe. <laughs> and this is in America where we have sidewalks and things are relatively clean and stuff. Now, I have done a whole lot of mission stuff. I've traveled pretty extensively in the South Pacific Islands and in Asia, and I've walked in places where the streets are really muddy and it's possible to step on some little gift left by an animal in the streets. Your feet do really get filthy. And that's why in the Middle East, in the time when Jesus lived, young children would come home from playing outside. They would hear their mom yell, did you wash your feet when you came in? Because she knew it was nasty out there. The places where they walked were nasty. They didn't wear closed-toed shoes and socks. They were more likely to wear something closer to like rubber slippers, like Hawaii. Their feet would get dirty. And if you visited somebody's home, they would provide at the entranceway a way for you to clean your feet be a basin of water, maybe a towel or something to dry your feet before you came in the home. And if it was a home of somebody really wealthy, or if you were a very important guest, there'd be a designated servant or a staff member to clean your feet. And it was considered very demeaning, menial work to be assigned to somebody because in that culture, feet were considered like really nasty and disgusting and having to touch the feet of another person or even worse wash the nasty feet of another person was a job that would only be done by a slave so let me give you another scriptural example in Luke 7 first starting in 36 when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table a woman at that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. Most of you know this story. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, now he's laying down on his side so his feet are behind him. She's crying. She begins to wet his feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Man, there's just a list of cultural taboos being broken here. First of all, that woman wasn't even supposed to be there because she was a woman. She touched the rabbi, which she wasn't supposed to do because she was a woman, and especially his feet and then she let her hair down, which in that culture was like something only women of low moral character would do. They wore their hair, you know, covered or tied up or whatever. She let her hair down. But this woman was willing to abandon her sense of what was proper and what was acceptable in the presence of Jesus because she recognized her own sinful past and she needed to worship him the best way that she could. There's something really important to note in the passage we just read from John chapter 13 verse 2 tells us the evening meal was in progress and then verse 4 says Jesus got up from the meal in other words those men had already arrived at the home they'd already washed their feet or maybe had their feet washed by somebody else a servant and the meal was already in progress when Jesus got up from the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist in other words Jesus was doing what Jesus was doing was not performing a necessary task it had already been done but rather 
Jesus was performing an act of humility as an example for his disciples. Jesus was doing something so scandalous. It was so countercultural, so completely shocking that at first Simon Peter couldn't even accept that the man he followed as a leader, as a teacher, and Lord was performing such an, an act of humility. And Jesus, always the rabbi, always the teacher, finished washing everyone's feet and then he returned to his place at his table and used it as a teaching moment in verse 13 he said you call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that's what I am and then in verse 14 he reverses the order from teacher and Lord he says now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you also should wash one another's feet I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. There were two things in there, weren't there? There was the taking of the bread and the wine and the washing the feet. He said, you'll be blessed if you do these things. Now I'm really aware, very well aware, that there are a lot of Christians who don't practice this anymore. This is not socially acceptable. This is not cool. I have friends, some really good friends, who believe that feet washing, it's just an analogy. Um, Jesus was not saying, he was just saying we should serve one another. I've read this passage a bunch of times. I can't find that anywhere in here. Even reading between the lines. Verse 14 is pretty plain. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. That's what it says. Same day. Same meal, communion, and feet washing. Why is one of those accepted as a literal example to be literally followed and the other gets spiritualized away as some kind of metaphor that you're not supposed to take literally? Funny, isn't it? So I'm going to just explain to you how this is done, and then I'm going to invite any of you who want to participate to participate. You Again, you are under no compulsion to participate. If you just want to observe, that's absolutely fine. If you feel like I'm out of here and you need to leave, we understand. It's completely fine. But I, we've done a COVID-era adaptation here, folks. Uh, normally, this would be a basin of water and a towel, but we're not in that year right now. Uh, so the guys back there at the back are bringing around packs of baby wipes <laughs> because it's not the basin of water it's not the towel it's not any of that it's the fact that you're saying to somebody my Lord and my Savior washed the feet of his disciples and I'm not better than my Lord and Savior that's what you're saying so they're going to put some music on back there at the back and we're just going to give you the opportunity to do this after I pray. Lord Jesus, who do we think that we are that we would consider ourselves above you, our Lord, our Savior? You took on the role of a servant and got down and set an example for us by washing someone's feet. And tonight, we have the opportunity, not the obligation, but the opportunity to follow your example. 
And we thank you, Lord, for the humility that you manifested, for the way that you showed us what it's really like to humble ourselves and love one another in a very real way. So tonight, Lord, as we participate in this, we ask your blessings upon this house. We thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you for our new members of this church. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity not just to partake of communion, but to follow through with the other part of these things that you said we'd be blessed if we did. In Jesus' name, amen. Find a partner. Find somebody. Pair up if you want to play. If you want to do this. If you don't, we completely understand. For more teaching like this, subscribe to this podcast. If you would like more information about Reunion Hawaii Church, our website is reunionhawaii.com. If you're in Honolulu, join us Sundays at 5 live at Kahala Mall. Aloha.